John chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is the word of the Lord. My wife uh, just reminded me that it might be a good idea to say hello to you. My name is Lee Hinkle, by the way. You know, sometimes you get busy and you start thinking, well, this is the next thing and this is the next thing, and you just kind of think that's the next thing and that's the next thing. Or I could just be really arrogant and assume you all know who I am. Sadly, probably a little bit of both. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> how many of you have ever been lost? It's a little hard nowadays to get lost in the car, in particularly if you have that thing that we call a phone, but really is a mini computer that we carry around with us at all times, where we plug in to some navigational system where we're going and it tells us the directions and the places and turn here or turn here or if you're like me you mute it and you pay attention to it which might be bad because you're not really watching the streets as well and I do that only because of an episode of The Office which is a British show that became an American show that they followed the GPS and it led them right into a lake so I'm afraid to listen I'll just pay attention that way but it's become a lot harder to get lost for us if you have those kind of things. But I can remember a day where you didn't have those things and you would get lost very easily. Actually, my history of getting lost started in shops when I would go with my parents and they would go grocery shopping and I would get enamored by something. Perhaps it was the lobsters that were in a tank that you could see in the seafood section or it was the size of a rack of uh, beef that might be in the butcher section or it might be the confectionery aisle and all the candies that I was never allowed to have and then all of a sudden I would recognize that my parents weren't beside me that they hadn't stopped at the important things that I was paying attention to that they had gone about their business and doing the things that they wanted to do because they wanted to get home and I would recognize that they weren't there and I would begin that feeling of despair I'm lost they've lost me 
Now, the truth is, is I've lost them, but I'm thinking they have lost me, and I began to walk up and down the aisles. And the first thing that I would do is I'd go to the back of the store, and I would walk each aisle just kind of looking down. Uh, are they there? Are they there? And if I didn't see them, then I would start the second, which would mean I would walk up and down the aisles this way, weaving back and forth, back and forth, wondering where my parents were and why they weren't looking for me quite yet. And perhaps this was intentional, and I wonder what I must have done. Finally, I would get to the point of desperation, and I would go to the front of the store where there's the help counter, and I would say, hi, uh, my name is Lee, and my parents have lost me. Of course, not my fault. My parents have lost me. Can you please page them? And so they would say on the intercom, paging Anita Hinkle, would you please come to the front of the store? Anita Hinkle, would you please come to the front of the store? Now, in those days, they didn't have the protocol to check and say, is this really your mother? Or they would look at driver's license or anything like that. So any woman could have walked up and claimed me. Now, I might have at that point, because I was so fearful that I had been left by my parents, accepted the generosity and kindness of someone. But essentially, what would eventually come place is she would come and find me, and then she would take me the rest of the way through her grocery shopping, and we would go home. And then we would get in the car, and she would say to me, if you get lost again, and I would say, I didn't get lost. You lost me. If you get lost again, I'm going to leave you. So the next time we would go to the grocery store, I would begin enamored by something that was there. Perhaps it was the decorations for Christmas that were out, you know, in October. And what would take place is I would lose my mother. And I would go up and down the aisles, but I would not go to the counter. I would actually go out and look in the parking lot, the car park, to see if her car was still there. And if her car was still there, I would know that she was still in the store. And I would wait and wait until I finally saw her. And then I'd go, oh, mom. Because I knew if I paged her, she might go get in the car and drive <laughs> off. That's sort of what's going on here in this passage. Uh, we have Philip and Thomas asking some questions. Now, we probably need a little bit of context as we get to this place of being lost and what he was dealing with. The context of this passage, this place where Jesus is talking and saying this great I am statement, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And remember, I am is a, a statement of divinity, right? He is saying, I am God. Not a God, I am the God. And what's taking place here is the Last Supper. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, and Peter has said, wash all of me. And he said, you don't get what I'm actually saying, Peter. Didn't quite say it that way. And then he says that one of you will betray me, and he points out that it's Judas, and he lets him go away. And then Jesus says this to them in chapter 13 of John. He said, when, when Judas had gone, he said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorifying him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. 
By this, all people will know what you are, that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. Now, real quickly, I want to stop there, and I just want to say, listen to how many times he says, love one another. He says, a new command that I give to you, that you love one another, just as I loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He starts off that statement by saying, little children, yet a little while I'm with you, but I will, where I'm going, you cannot come. I give you a new command. Love one another. And Peter goes, where are you going? Peter missed it. <laughs> Jesus says, I've given you a new command. It's that you love one another. It's so important, I'm going to say it four times. Love one another as I've loved you. If you love one another, people will know that you are followers of me. And he goes, but you just told us you're going to be gone for a little while. Where are you going? And Jesus answers him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow me afterwards. Now what Jesus is referring to here is his death. He's talking about the cross and he's saying, I am going to be away from you. I am going to die, but I will come back. We find that out following this. Peter says, I'll follow you with all my life. I'll lay it down. And Jesus says, will you lay it down? You'll deny me three times. Then he looks at everybody. All the disciples, the 11 of them that are left in the room. And that's where this passage starts. And so you can see that their hearts are wondering what's going on. Here's Jesus. He's just washed our feet. He's just maybe given us a new command. And they're starting to gather that. But he's also told us that he is going away. And Jesus recognizes that their hearts are beginning to get anxious, that they're beginning to wonder what's going to happen, that here this man that they've walked with for three years is saying that he is leaving them. And what does that mean for them? And so he stops and he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he tells them that in his father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go in to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And there where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. So Jesus wants to comfort them and he says to them, I am going to a place. I'm going to prepare this place for you. Now there's... Two ways that we can look at that place. One is we can look at it very future tense. We can look at it as him talking about heaven. When Audio Adrenaline, which is a CCM band, did a song about this particular passage, a a Christian music band, they they said God's going to make a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms, with a big, big yard. And it was fun, and you jumped up and down to it, and you sang along with it. So it could be that he's talking about heaven, here. But Leslie Newbegin, who's a missiologist from England who spent lots of time in India, says that maybe more importantly than just that future tense, that thing that we look forward to in the future, is the fact that it is actually the kingdom of God that he's talking about. That he's saying it's not just something in the future that I'm going to prepare heaven for you, this great, marvelous, miraculous place that gets you out of the world, because that's how we think about heaven, right? This world is bad and heaven is good when we forget that God created the world as good. 
that God rests and has dominion here? So maybe it's not just about heaven, although that could definitely be part of it, but it's about the kingdom of God entering the very world that they're in right now. That he says to them, I am and I have and will continue to prepare a place for you. That yes, I have to go away in my death. I have to die to bring salvation to the world, to bring reconciliation away for peace to come. But in doing that, I unleash the kingdom of God fully at its highest capacity in completeness onto this world. And so that that is where I'm going and that is what I'm doing. And maybe more importantly is this, that in this Jesus doesn't just say, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but what does he say? I am coming back. I will come and get you. You will be with me. See, it's already moving away from a location and moving to a relationship. He's saying more important than the place that I'm going, what that may be is the fact that it will be with me. That I will have a relationship with you. And Thomas says this, Lord, (laughs) we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You're not being clear with us, Lord. We don't quite know what you're talking about here, God. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Some of us have been followers, we would say, our whole lives. Some of us have been these folks that have been in church and have been doing this Christianity thing most of our lives. And so we would never say out loud to anybody near us that there have been moments in our lives where we think, is what I'm doing actually what I'm supposed to be doing in order to have Jesus like me? We would be hesitant to say that out loud because we know it just doesn't sound right to our ears. But In our hearts, there have been moments and places and times, perhaps it's been heartache that's entered in, or there's been division in relationships, or sickness that has befallen us, or for some reason our our dreams of a successful thing didn't go quite as planned. Or maybe it's just that we have questions and nobody seems to have an answer to them. Or we have disagreements with people that we really see as followers of Jesus, but for some reason we have a different opinion about this certain thing. And is is that right? Is that wrong? Shouldn't we all agree about everything possible? Well, maybe I'm really not following the right Jesus in the right way. I don't know the way because I'm not quite sure where it's ending up. Or maybe you're here and and you've been like, yeah, I've been on that path and I've decided... (laughs) I I don't want to follow that. I I don't have any idea what direction that is going, and if I don't know the direction, there's no way I'm getting on that path. One of the things that's interesting to me uh, about living here in Perth is that you can drive not very far away and all of a sudden be on trails that lead you into the bush. And you'll hear stories about people getting lost. That would be me immediately. Just honestly, I would get in there and I would begin to walk and I would take a step off the path and I would think, I must be on the path, I'm not on the path. And so for me, it's just easier to go, it doesn't make sense for me to go out and do that bush walk thing unless I'm with somebody who knows. Perhaps you feel that way. You just don't know the direction it's going. And so it's fearful and you say, I don't know the way. And Jesus answers that. 
He says to Thomas this I am statement. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's three things that are interesting about that. Because he calls himself, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He doesn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. He says, I am the way. It's actually a definitive clause. It's saying, this is what is. There is nothing else. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we think about Jesus saying, I am the way, it should hit us where we can go to this place of saying, okay, if Jesus is the way, then that must mean I need to live the way that he lived. So I need to accomplish the things that he accomplished. And so what was Jesus? What did he do? How did he act? What did he look like? And so we begin to go, okay, so Jesus was kind to people. He healed people. Can't do that one. He... uh, uh, fed 5,000, I can feed 5,000, but that's not quite the way that he did it. He didn't seem to get angry, but he did get angry at righteous people. I can definitely do that. And we think there's a path that we're supposed to walk on and that we are safe on that path and we should not leave it. But what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the way, is he's saying this is not a path. It's a person, the person of Jesus, who I am. It's not just about imitation or figuring out the things that made Jesus Jesus as qualities and trying to adapt those qualities into our own life. He is saying, no, it is only through me, in me, by me that the way exists because I am the way. There is no path for you to walk. It is a person. Then he says, I am the truth. Interestingly enough, later Pilate says, what is truth to Jesus? And that's a great question for us. Because we'll think to ourselves, well, what is truth? What does truth look like? And in our world today, there's arguments all the time about whether absolute truth actually exists anymore. It's been deconstructed and torn away. And let me tell you this, I can understand where people are coming from in that. Because I do know that within all of our own hearts and with all of our own experience, we have things that are clearly seem to be truth to us. I like to refer to that as our true. It's the things that we experience and the knowledge that we gain. It's the things that take place around us that inform our ideologies and our thought processes and the things that we believe and the things that we don't believe. All those things are true to you. So for instance, for me, I was born in the United States of America. I was born into a Christian family. I was born with a grandfather that was a preacher and a dad that was a preacher. I learned a lot about the Bible growing up. I was not born in some other country with some other pastor or some other family that had some other religion. So for me, I've always known Christianity to be true. But somewhere else in the world, they maybe have grown up where Something else was true. That's pretty broad and and, and meta, right? Very big. But let's think about even smaller things. 
in our lives. Some people believe that there are ways of eating that are better than others. And they were grown up maybe in that way of eating. Or they've discovered sort of things that they've read and seen. And those experiences and that learning has caused them to go, it is true for me that the healthiest way to eat is this way. But somebody else has read other things and seen other things and experienced other things. And they say, but for me, it's true health comes from eating this way. But what Jesus is saying here is I'm not talking about true or experience. I'm actually not talking about a proposition. That's what we tend to do with truth, right? Is we make it propositional statements. If then, we're very rational here sometimes. If then. And we'll go either or. But what God does in his kingdom is he brings it to both and and he says, look, there are things that you experience that are true to you, but there is a truth that is over and above that. And it's not a propositional statement. It's not something that you go, I believe this, 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 and this, and so that means I must be in the truth. What Jesus says here is it's not proposition, it's a person. It's me. That I hold all that is truth. That everything that is truth can be seen and found in me. So that when truth is seen, the truth of who God is, the truth of creation, the truth of his pursuit and his love for us, when it is seen, it is seen fully in Jesus as the person. And we might create propositional statements that align with that truth. We might have experiences in our true that align with that truth. But we also create propositional statements and also have experiences that are definitely true to us that don't align with the truth. And what we sometimes will do is elevate what is true to us above the truth of who Jesus says that he is. Which is the truth. And so he comes in and he breaks it down. And there are places where he comes in and he says, I'm going to transform your true and make it align with the truth of who I am. And so there are places in our hearts where we were taught that we need to love people who are different than us. But we find it very hard in ourselves to love people who are different than us. And we need the truth of God, Jesus, to come in and transform us to be able to love people who are different than us. Even though we would say, well, it's always been true to me that I want to love people who are different. Than me. So the first thing Jesus says is, I'm the way. The second thing he says is, I'm the truth. And then the third thing that he says is, I am life. Have you ever heard this phrase, I'm too busy living to have a life? Uh, the world is going on and my day-to-day -day chores are happening and there are things that need to be taken place and I am too busy living to actually have a life. For some reason, I'm just not enjoying this. This can't be all that it's supposed to be. My kids watch an animated series called World of Gumball. Now, because my kids watch the World of Gumball, I have seen the World of Gumball on occasion. And I've begun to do a little bit of research because I'm the kind of person that wants to know what my kids are watching and what they're listening to and what they're doing. And there's one particular episode of Gumball that when I was thinking about life, uh, it reminded me it was called The Question. For my son, I'll tell him it's in season three. And in that, they're trying to figure out what the meaning of life is. 
And the characters of Gumball, as they're walking around, they're asking all sorts of people what the meaning of life is. What's the meaning of life? And they're telling him the meaning of life. Uh, perhaps for some of us who are older uh, and can handle some crass humor, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life might be a better example for you to think about. But there's that place where they're talking and, and each answer seems to not really give them what they're looking for. And so finally, one of the characters, I guess it's Gumball, reaches out and he says to the universe, why can't somebody tell me what the meaning of life is? And it zooms out to the planets, all of the solar system. And the solar system decides that they'll answer this little cat boy animated creature and tell him what the meaning of life is. And they sing it in a song, which I will not sing for you. But I will give you some of the lyrics. Essentially, the planets are wanting him to know how insignificant he is. That size, if the ant looks at him, he looks like a giant. But if he looks at the planets, he looks very small. And this is what the planets sing. When you think you've got a problem and your life is full of doubt, remember in the scheme of things, your life just doesn't count. You're tiny and you're minuscule, irrelevant a speck. Upon the dark side of that rock, you're just a measly little fleck. So when you think you've got a problem, when your life is full of doubt, remember in the scheme of things, you're puny, little, teeny, weeny, meager, futile, worthless, teeny, boring, foolish, pointless, minimal, wretched, gloomy, bleak, and pitiful. Life just does not count. Now, my animated shows never did anything like that. Of course, mine were Beavis and his other buddy who laughed at videos, so. But sometimes don't we feel that way? That we're too busy living to have a life? Too busy doing the things that we have to do each day for survival to not really feel like full? And Jesus says, I know you're lost, your heart is troubled, but hear me and listen to me and know that I am life. When we look at life, we look at life as potential. We look at life as those things that we might possibly get to do. That life is that trip that we're going to take someday, or life is that person we're going to meet that's going to fulfill us, or life is that job that's going to give us all hope, or life is maybe just not being sore when I wake up in the morning, but that's life, and it's full of potential, and what Jesus says is, no, life is not potential. Life is a person. It's me. I am life. I'm the one that says you are not puny, you are not minimal, you are not wretched, you are not bleak, you are not pitiful. You are beautiful to me. And where I am going, I will come back for you. And where I am going, I will bring you to me because I want to be with you in relationship with you. Now, Philip hears this as he says this, and he says, if you'd known me, you would have known my father also. And Philip says, well, just show us the father, and then we'll be happy. See, he's still a little bit lost. And this is where Jesus really takes that I am statement, that fact that he says, I am God, and he opens it up to them in a brand new way. He says, no, I and the father are one. I am in the father, and the father is in me. 
that nothing I have said to you, nothing I will do comes outside of myself, that it is all directed by the authority of the Father. Now there's some confusion here for us as we look at this passage because we hear Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And and our modern sensibilities hear that and we think, what an exclusive statement. Boy, that just seems, dare we say, almost bigoted. But what we fail to recognize is that our own hearts are much more exclusive than the Father's. Because we're very quickly to point out and think through those people who don't belong. I mean, we don't want to admit that. And rightfully so, it seems bigoted. And we would never want to be that. But when push comes to shove in our own hearts, we're very quick to say, well, these people are good, or these people are right, or these people are deserving, or this person is... Look, in the States this week, they're celebrating Thanksgiving. And around all those Thanksgiving tables, there will be families that gather together. And among that mix, there are people who will be looking across the table at the other person and think, I wish you weren't here. Why? Because our hearts are very quickly to say, I'm not exclusive at all, except I like the people I like. And what Jesus is saying is, look, I want all to see the Father. I will bring, but it is through me and by me that they will see the Father. It is through me and by me that they will know. And he says, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He calls out to them and says, I know them as we looked at the good shepherd. I know my sheep, I go for them. They hear my voice and they come to me. And so while we hear this passage in a modern sensibility, I want us to recognize and I have to remind myself in my own heart all the time that Jesus at this point, at this very thing, is talking exclusively to his disciples. His disciples that then come out to us because we have the word of God. And he's saying, look, this is not about a place or an appointment or a a boundary. That this is about me. (laughs) The way, the truth, and the life. Because what had he been talking about? He'd been talking about the Father. He'd been talking about the love of the Father. And he says, if you want to see the Father, in fact, you have seen the Father, Philip, because you have seen me. As a matter of fact, it's almost as if he's saying to them this. Listen, guys, you don't need to understand all this. You simply need to trust me. Don't look for a way apart from me. Don't look for a route or a destination, some other concept or some other technique or some system or thought process that is separate from me. I'm not trying to give you more information. I'm not actually giving you instructions so long as you need me. And can instead of depending on information and strategies and instructions, just trust me. Everything you need is in me. I will be the one that brings you to the Father's house, whether that's heaven or the kingdom of God. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those things aren't separate from me, Jesus says. As a matter of fact, they are me. So you'll only find them in me. Whether or not you know it and understand everything that I've talked about, if you will trust in me. And the reality is, is he books in this little section for us in that way. If you notice, he says, let your heart not be troubled, but believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says in verse uh, 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else just believe on the accounts of the works themselves. Jesus calls out to us when he says, I am the way, the truth, and life, and says, you must learn to rest and trust in me. I'm not a pilot. I don't ever want to become a pilot. I have no desire to do that. I don't mind sitting in the back of the plane, watching movies, falling asleep, waking up in the destination that we're going to. But from what I understand, reading a little bit about pilots, is they have to rely on their instruments more than they, their feelings. Now, there are times in planes, and particularly in smaller vessels and airplanes that are flying, that your body will begin to play tricks on you, and your mind will begin to tell you that something is happening. So perhaps you're flying your plane, and you begin to feel as if you are upside down. And maybe it's dark out, and it's night, and you can't tell where the horizon is, and you've lost it off in the distance, and you're quite not sure where you're at, and your body begins to feel like you're upside down. And so automatically your thought process is, I've got to turn this plane to the right side. Or you might even feel like you're going down towards the ground and you think to yourself, I'm headed down to the ground. I can't tell what's going on, but I know my body is instinctively telling me I'm headed to the ground. I need to pull up on this stick so that I can get high and I can elevate myself. And there have been many times in the history of aviation that men have, women have trusted their bodies instead of looking at the instrument. Because as long as the instrument is working, as long as it's right, if you pay attention to that instrument, it keeps you on the horizon. It shows you exactly where you're at. And so even though your body and your physicalness and, and everything about you tells you that something else is going on, if you pay attention to the instrument and you see the line of horizon on there, you will recognize the direction that you're going. Jesus here says, you may feel lost, you may feel desperate, you may feel alone, but I am the way, the truth, and the life. It even might feel unnatural for you at this moment to be following the things that I say, the way that I live, the fact that you can trust me for anything and everything. But I am the way, I am the truth. My instrument is set. So let us focus on Christ and Him calling us to Him to rest and trust completely. Let me pray for us. Father God, You are holy and mighty and true. Let us find our hope in You. Let us find that we can trust in You as You take us to the place of trust. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.